Hello everybody and welcome to Absolute Comics with Sal and myself. Benny is out, he is doing some other stuff, so I am filling in. Today we've got some great topics to talk about, but first, I want to thank our sponsors, G Fuel, use code COMICS at checkout, save 10% on your order, as well as Into the AM, where you can buy some cool shirts, as well as, I almost forgot, our YouTube memberships. Those of you supporting us extra there, we greatly appreciate it, guys. You are helping us out tremendously. So let's go ahead and jump on in to today's topics. Uh, first up, we've got the Marvel is very aware of how large and sprawling the MCU timeline has become that in a recent interview, uh, the writer for She-Hulk revealed that Marvel has a dedicated person whose sole job is to manage and keep track of the MCU timeline and tell the different writers and uh, like different staff on the shows, hey, your show takes place after this and before this, so you can mention these things, don't mention these things. I love that. That is that that is something we have been begging them to do mm-hmm. in not just the MCU, but also in comic books forever. It used to be, at least at Marvel, all the books took place in the same universe, they all took place around the same time, uh, and editors were responsible for like maintaining continuity and being like you can't use this character you can't use that character but not because you know editors were covetously hoarding those characters but because they were like hey like this character's in space it wouldn't make any sense doesn't line up mm-hmm. whereas with dc they're like there's 18 batman books who cares batman does batman doesn't sleep that's one of his superpowers uh but we need continuity directors in our comics and I am so glad that Marvel has determined that like they need a dedicated human being or team of human beings to just keep track of the timeline and let everybody in every project know when their projects take place because it just keeps it that much more tight. Hopefully, they'll be allowed to have access to the Sony Spider-Man scripts so we don't get the eight years later situation uh, yet again, but... I'm all for it. This is this is something I'm like surprised it just started now. You mm-hmm. know, well, I think with the advent of Disney Plus, it was like you have to do something. Probably that. I I don't know how long this position has been around. This has just been the first time that someone's actually mentioned Acknowledged it. it. Um, yeah. Like you said, I really hope they bring someone to the comics to do this. I like I miss in some of the comics where at the front it's like, hey, this is what's going on right now. And it's like, thank yeah. you for just clearing it up because I am reading five comics of this same area. And it's nice to know. Uh, I was actually really glad about it because not only does it give confidence that the shows are going to make more sense, but it also yeah. gives confidence in knowing that future projects are not going to get muddled up. We're not going to have right. to worry about situations where we do get a movie and we're like, what? when is this compared to the shows? Because I know that was kind of a thing. A lot of people were having questions about early on was the shows on Disney plus for the MCU versus the movies. Mm -hmm. And like, I mean, heck even during the WandaVision versus uh, Dr. Strange, we don't fully know how much time happened between them, but at least we know there's someone going, Hey, this all happened. Keep that Mm -hmm. in mind. Some of the audience will know, but either way, that's what you need to work with. And Absolutely. No, and I think it gives the audience more confidence in what it is as well. Like the, the audience knows they're in trusted hands. They're like, okay, well, I may be confused or I might not know, but I know they know. And so if it matters, if it's really important, they will weave it into the narrative so that I am aware Exactly. Uh, unfortunately, the only the only downside is that it puts a lot of uh, YouTubers out of business, because uh, I'm sure that there's someone or some ones. There's probably a dozen YouTubers who have, who make their living, or at the very least, their side hustle off of every year making an updated the official timeline of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hmm. And if I were Marvel, I might have my continuity director work with like a graphic de- like design department and whip up like a timeline that they release digitally. That's just like, this is the timeline. Here's how it all lines up. Right. Officially from the word of the, the, the people at Marvel, because the, the closest thing we have to that is just the chronological order playlist on Disney plus. Yep. What I'm also excited about is will they, or have they incorporated the Netflix shows? Because we know that the Netflix shows are pretty much in Canon. Right. 
So will they be like, all right, well, once Daredevil debuts, we'll put Daredevil in. If Jessica Jones shows up in Daredevil, then we put Jessica Jones into the timeline. Right. Like, and so forth. Or are they just going to go, yeah, no, all of them, but, but, but Iron Fist. Everything gets in. I'm interested. <laughs> but I, Iron Fist. You can tell there's no way. Because, like, I've heard rumors that, uh, that that Jessica Jones will be in the net, in the, in the new Daredevil show. Mm-hmm. I've heard that, uh, well, I haven't heard anything about Luke Cage, unfortunately, but I would like to see him because I think Mike Holter did a fantastic job. Right. But, you know, I'd like to know if they have to do that. Plus, then we can get an official word like, can we all just say Inhumans didn't happen? <laughs> Can we all just say that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is or is not in continuity now? Like, let us know, please. Right. I was actually, uh, one thing that would be kind of cool with that would be if uh, when season two of Loki comes out, if they decide not to put the Netflix shows in the timeline, if they made those one of the TVA variation timelines that they have to, like, cut off. Such a good idea to, like, just (laughs) introduce the TV, like, like, have the TVA be like, this is, uh, yeah, this is the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., this is the Iron Fist show, this is, like, you know, and not call them shows, but to go, like, yeah, we had to nip this in the bud. Like, things were going okay until this point, and it's, like, you know, the robots or the, the, you know, whatever. Like, go to the point in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where it's like, oh, it looks like Coulson's kind of gone off the deep end. Well, we got to nip this uh, timeline in the bud right now. Like Exactly. (sighs) That'd be so great. It'd be very, yeah. very cool. But yeah, overall, the the fact that they've got a keeper of the timeline, I, I'm very happy to hear that. And so uh, yeah. uh, keeping along the lines of Marvel movies, next up we got Deadpool 3 is obviously on the horizon. And Ryan Reynolds actually came out speaking about his greatest fear about these movies and the character uh, because he said, as we all know, his first adventure into the superhero world with Green Lantern did not go across very well. And every time the Deadpool movies come up, as well as him playing the role, he's desperate or he's very afraid that he's going to let the fans down. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I feel like this was kind of the way he felt on Deadpool 1. And while some people might think, oh, he's like, people are happy with the way it went. He should be less worried about it. I feel like he's more worried about it now. Like, oh, I have, the standard is so high right now that I have to go above and beyond that or bare minimum hit that standard. And uh, as much as we all want to say, oh, he's got this. Is it like, he's going to do fine. There is also only so much you can really do that's original and still make it fun or repros like reduce things, but do it in a cool new way that we don't go, ah, oh, this is Deadpool one again. Like why am I watching yeah. this? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think everyone would be disappointed if like the MCU Deadpool three was just Deadpool one, but with like fewer F bombs. Right. But at the same time, I think that it's nice that he wants to like maintain some level of consistency and quality Mm -hmm. that he's worried about it in some way. I'm sure he's not really like, I'm sure it's all very much like Hollywood double speak of like, I'm really worried about letting down the fans. So the fans can go like, no, we love you, Ryan. We're here for you. But, uh, but, but speaking from a perspective of like the Deadpool movie wouldn't exist without Ryan Reynolds and it wouldn't Mm -hmm. exist without his pushing for it, championing it, maybe facilitation in the leak of the test footage, I think that uh, we're in an age where, like, the only way that these projects get made is either from high-powered producers. Like, we wouldn't get Moon Knight if Feige wasn't apparently a Moon Knight fan. Yeah. And we don't get, like, a Black Adam movie unless The Rock wants a Black Adam movie. We don't get a, a good Deadpool movie unless Ryan Reynolds is integrally involved. And this could be Ryan Reynolds' way of being, like, of just kind of, like, asserting himself, being like, no, no, no. If this doesn't work out, it's because of me. Like right. because I'm gonna be dictating where we're going with this. Kind of like it's. I, I feel it's interesting because with Fox, Fox was very like. By the time Deadpool even came out, they're like, I don't, get, I don't know. Just do whatever. Just make an X Men movie every like five years, and we'll be fine. Who cares? Right. Make make your Deadpool movie. Uh, you know we're gonna put out on Valentine's Day, which is like a graveyard for movies. And then it did great, and they're like, oh well, crap, here's more money. Make a better Deadpool movie. Um. In this case, Marvel's like, we don't even need you to make a Deadpool movie. <laughs> like, I mean, we we do need you because Deadpool 
on screen is Ryan Reynolds. Oh, yeah. But I think the attitude, the prevailing attitude from Marvel Studios is like, it's about the characters we own, not about you. Like, we replaced Edward Norton in movie three. Like, by the, like, by the second movie that we had our major star in, mm-hmm. we replaced it. We replaced Jim Rhodes after the, after the first movie. Like, we, we'll replace you. Yeah. It's about what we're good at, which is making these movies and getting them out there. So I can imagine Reynolds being like, I'm used to kind of calling the shots and dictating what the what the protocol is for Deadpool, but he's going to be up against like the machine of Marvel being like, whoa, like we're slow your roll there, Reynolds. Right. So I could see there, but it's very much an amenable jockeying, I think, where he's just like, I don't want to let the fan, like, it's actually a really clever maneuver where it's like, well, Marvel is going to Marvel. Marvel's going to make this movie one day, whether Ryan Reynolds is on board or not. But if Reynolds has the audience's back, like if the if the if the audience has his back, he will be in a much more uh, negotiable position. Right. And so it, it, it's 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 a smart move. Um, I myself am not really worried about Deadpool three as far as like quality is concerned. My only concern is that it'll like have crappy looking CG because I'm just so used to Marvel projects now having crappy looking CG. Right. Uh, when do you think we're even gonna get Deadpool three? I think if we're gonna get it, it's gonna be. <sighs> soonest probably three years i i think like high hopes the soonest i could see it coming out would be three years because we do know that he's got uh his friend who did the adam projects or that movie he's already on board so they're probably at least in the early stages of writing a script kind of outlining and stuff like that and so i think i think in about three years we should at bare minimum be hearing about it bare minimum yeah. like hearing oh hey it started filming or it's wrapping up or hey like we finally are doing this but yeah uh definitely like three years yeah what about By you the way, Sh- uh, sean levy is the director sean name. levy that's um one. i think i i think that normally i would have said yeah five years like that I, i'd say they wouldn't dare make a deadpool movie without also having the event like the, the x-men right like like why would deadpool be the first x project movie but at the same time ms marvel's a mutant mm-hmm. they made that announcement already like it's in the show mutants yeah. are there we professor charles xavier appeared on screen in a doctor strange movie uh not our doctors not not the marvel's cinematic universe professor x but some ridiculous variant thereof I think that they might shunt Deadpool into like it could be the middle movie between uh, Avengers movies. Like I think yeah. that we'll get. I think that at D twenty three, like the er, like the earliest we'll do we'll get it is in like a week or two at D twenty three, where they're gonna go like Deadpool three, Sean Levy, Ryan Reynolds. It's happening. Here's the logo. It's just the same exact logo as before, but it says Marvel at the top. Mm-hmm. Like kind of like in a Blade situation where we got that whole rollout of Phase four, and they were like also Blade. We have no script. We have no director. We just have an actor. Here it is. Yeah. Like, just kind of the, it's happening. It's yeah. on its way. Because we've got an official word about Deadpool 3, but not in like text, not on a poster. Just Feige saying, yes, we're going to do it. Yes, it'll be R-rated. Yes, Ryan Reynolds is involved. And we've heard from like Reynolds and Sean Levy, like Sean Levy is involved, that he's the director. But like, there's n- there hasn't been any fanfare. And I think at D23, there would be some enthusiasm if they were like, starting to fill in those gaps that we saw between like fantastic four and secret wars where they're like and i think that during that timeline where we've got like kang stirring up shit maybe the introduction of dr doom the fantastic four kind of like jockeying for position alongside the avengers and Mm -hmm. whatever that looks like by then it might be a nice palate cleanser to have like a deadpool movie come out Right. Because it's also not, they don't have to really worry about anything. Like, Deadpool doesn't need to go to the mansion or Krakoa or, you know, bump elbows with Wolverine. We've had, we've had two good Deadpool movies with no Wolverine in it at all. Yeah. And it just builds more enthusiasm for that inevitability one day. And there's also other characters that Deadpool could always play off of if they want to do that in any way. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that, like, the sooner we're going to, the soonest we're going to get it is maybe two years like yeah. i think a little less than, than, than your timeline i think i honestly think 
D23 is a great place for them to say Deadpool 3 is happening. It takes no effort to do it. If you have a director, yeah. you have a star, and you have, uh, like, the logo, then all you have to do, like, Blade has established this. All you need is the logo and a star right. to come on screen, and you can release that movie years from now. But, yeah, I, I think sooner rather than later, Deadpool's one of those movies that's like, again, Deadpool doesn't need to be $200 million. <laughs> like, right. I mean, heck, we a- got Brad Pitt as just... The, the Invisible Vanisher. Man. He's, yeah, I, he's yeah. He's he showed up and he did. A, he 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 got paid nothing. I think. I I'm like sure Ryan a, was just like, hey, uh, I I had this really fun bit. You want to do it with? And he was probably like, sure, let's do it. Oh yeah. No, I think he got like a favor. It was like, as I understand it, he wasn't paid money. He was paid for like some in some other way. Okay. But uh, yeah, no, I, I I I'm excited for Deadpool three. I'm glad that Reynolds is taking it personally because like. For him, this is, like, his movie. We talked uh, on our other channel, Absolutely Marvel in DC. Uh, we did a whole video about Black Adam and The Rock and how, like, The Rock wants to, Like, he clearly has, like, a, like, a... He feels, like, a real attachment to this character. And yeah. he feels like he's, like, shepherding an entire franchise. The reality is, Ryan Reynolds is the face of the Deadpool franchise. Every movie in the MCU is its own franchise. Like, mm-hmm. Chris Hemsworth is in charge of the Thor franchise. There are... Four Thor movies, and Thor has appeared in what, like, four other movies? Yeah, you know, he's in eight movies starring Thor, and that's that's a whole franchise in and of itself. Deadpool could be that, yeah. and if, if especially if they like keep it trim, you know how the costume works. He doesn't have to look ridiculous. He doesn't have to like be overly CG'd. Deadpool could I know I like I like to use this analogy all the time because like I say it for Black Widow but like Deadpool could go to Madripoor Deadpool could go to the Savage Land Deadpool could go to like a Hydra Bay you could do like you could do a comedy movie version of the movie Dread where Dread mm-hmm. is just like in a building like it's just die hard with Deadpool in it like that, be that's good. right like it's just dude Deadpool's trapped in the old Avengers Tower and like that, all the oh. Stark like stuff is in there or Deadpool breaks into the Baxter building. Like these are the movies that like, it doesn't cost much to make, but it would be delightful and it would make half a mil, half a billion dollars. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I was very happy to hear this because just when you know the character, the actor has passion and true like emotions towards the character they, they are portraying, you know, you're going to get something good as opposed to someone that's like, oh, well, I'm getting paid a lot of money for this. Let's go ahead and do it. Like, uh. totally, totally. So. Especially when, and it's not, it, it's, it's the best situation for him. Cause it's like, he's getting paid a ton of money mm-hmm. to be the lead in a movie where he gets to call the shots. Like, it's not just, well, you know, I have to get in shape and I have to do all this stuff and I got to read these words. Somebody else said like, no, these are your words for your character. Like, and you get the, the lion's share of the reward for it. You know, the yeah. the concern is, of course, like you get the lion's share of the blame if it sucks. But now, yeah. now actually, he's in a better position because it's like, oh, Marvel. You, you know, if Deadpool three sucks, people will go, Marvel screwed it up. Yep, exactly. It in no way will people blame him. Blame him. <laughs> exactly. It's going to be like, oh, well, Disney got their hand in it. Clearly, they're the ones to blame for this. So exactly. But uh, yeah, so uh, moving on to our next topic. Uh, So Kevin Smith recently in uh, his own podcast came up with the exact same idea that you and Ben had in regards to the Batman Caped Crusader situation with HBO Max and how this could eventually lead to Marvel owning DC Comics in some shape or form. And honestly, I just kind of threw this on there because I thought you and Benny would have a laugh that yeah. he had the exact same idea. Maybe right. in like a slightly different way, but the fact that this got removed from HBO Max could potentially lead to Disney and Marvel and oh, who yeah. knows? Maybe that will be the uh, the spark that allows The Rock to set up his DC versus Marvel situation. Like, yeah. hey guys... I want to do this. They've got some of it. Let's just make a ton of money. Like <laughs> Absolutely. No, like let me tell you something. Marvel versus DC is a comic book. It it makes money, but it yeah. has diminishing returns. And the crossovers themselves, like you can sell DC versus Marvel or Avengers versus JLA. Those are the big marquee things. The smaller crossovers are the ones where you have more risk involved, even if it's like you're capitalizing on two audiences, but mm-hmm. that's not how the publishers see it. But even still, 
they are reticent to do it because they don't want to promote either of what they consider to be rival brands. Right. Movie studios work together more than comic book publishers at this point. Marvel is basically doing the straight-up equivalent of a Marvel versus DC or a Marvel-DC crossover every time we see a Spider-Man movie. Because yeah. Sony, Sony considers themselves a rival studio. I don't know if Disney considers Sony a rival studio, but Sony certainly considers themselves a big contender in the movie studio department, in, mm-hmm. in, the, in the film industry. And in order to make sure we get Spider-Man movies and Spider-Man appearances, Disney has to make a deal with a rival studio every single time. And they all do it because for them, they're like the net gains are just so much more valuable. It's just mm-hmm. so much bigger. A Marvel versus DC or an Avengers versus Justice League movie would make so much money. The the it I and because there's a precedent for it, we could see there's a reality where that would happen more likely than it would happen in the comic books at this point because there's already a precedent. You know, the difference being this there's there's two major differences. The first of which is Warner Brothers is a true contender. Like as mm-hmm. far as Disney's concerned, like Disney's like yeah, we'll make a deal with Sony, whatever. But Warner Brothers considers themselves a straight-up competitor. Not a rival, competitor with Disney. Disney considers themselves a straight-up competitor with Warner Brothers. Like, those are actual competing studios. The other problem I see is that I don't know if it would make enough money for them to want to do it. I want to see that because I think it would be crazy and cool and it would be unprecedented. But, like, in a world where a Batman-Superman movie didn't make a billion dollars, in a movie where, like the Joker does by itself in a, in a world where Endgame, a movie that may have cost $2 billion. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that God only knows how much that movie actually cost at the end of the day. Cause they shot infinity war and Endgame and blah, blah, blah. But right. like, there's only so much money these movies can make. Like I, I genuinely think like the number they're always talking about is this movie made a billion. Yeah. They're never talking about like this movie made $3 billion. Like, I don't there's not enough human beings and theaters in the world for a Avengers JLA movie that would cost probably a billion dollars. Like it would be an endgame like cost just from production and then the actors involved. Right. Because you can't just have Avengers versus JLA the movie and have like Anthony Mackie fight Ezra Miller, you know? <laughs> right. It would have to be, you'd have to bring back Robert Downey Jr., you'd have to bring back Chris Evans, you'd have to pick your Batman, which one is it, you'll have to work that out, it's not going to be an unknown, it's going to be a big deal, you know, we gotta, because we gotta meet him, we we gotta face Robert Downey Jr.'s star power with another star, and then the question is, which one? Do we bring, do we dust off uh, Ben Affleck? Do we, do we get Robert Pattinson more money? Either way, we're spending a billion dollars in this movie, and the only way it would make sense is if you're going to make three billion dollars and i don't think there's enough dollars in the theaters that could actually justify it like yeah i want to see it but i don't know if it would make that fabled like triple billion mark that you would have to make in order to justify its existence yeah now it definitely would be one of those ones where you like you said it would be expensive and you got to make it it's not one you can half-ass it's, no. it's one of those things that if you're going to do this, you're going to go all in. And like the only way I could really see either of them doing it would be if the actors were up for a little bit of a pay cut for it. Yeah. Both studios paid like a portion themselves. So it's not right. as high of a risk uh, situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then like we get something out of that because there are plenty of, I mean, completely separate things, but like Pepsi and Coke, I always use that as kind of the comparison. And there was a period of time where they would have their competitor in their own commercials. Yes. And they used it as a way to comparison. Exactly. A comparison. And I feel like if you do the, an Avengers versus justice league movie situation, you could easily have different parts of it. Persuade the audience to want to go towards Marvel and mm-hmm. then show another part where you persuade them to go towards DC. So you can kind of get the best of both worlds without having something ridiculous. But yeah, it's I mean, it's a it's a stretch. Like you said, like there, yeah. there simply isn't enough money in theaters right now because 
I, I honestly think the cap is a billion. Like, I feel like a yeah. billion dollars is the most people that would go. And the only way you get over that is if you get a very large portion of those people to spend the money to go see it a second time. Exactly. The, the fact is, like, they had a hype machine that had heretofore never been seen in cinema, which is a 10-year-long multi-franchise umbrella of a franchise. I mean, arguably, your Marvel vs. DC movie is the Avengers, because you're basically taking five franchises and crossing them all over in one movie. Like, mm -hmm. they used to talk about how the Avengers movie was impossible to make because of how much money it would cost. People wouldn't even make a Ghostbusters 3 because of how much they thought it was going to cost. Like, and, and that's just four fat guys in jumpsuits, you know? Right. But this, th this is the kind of thing where it would have to be so expensive and it would have to be so like justifiable that it's worth reaching over the aisle making deals with with rival studios and promoting each other mm -hmm. uh the cost alone and and like you said like we've said the 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 box office numbers like even the highest grossing movie of all time we're not talking three billion dollars we're not talking because of course What's the rule of thumb when it comes to guessing how much a movie has to make in order to make its money back? You take the budget of the movie, you multiply it by two because that's how much the marketing budget is, and then you get your, your like break-even point where it's like double the budget. So let's say a movie with Marvel versus DC is a billion dollars or $500 million. That means it's got to make at least a billion. Mm -hmm. If you're going by $500 million, which, by the way, every superhero movie is about $250 million. That's like the glass ceiling for superhero movies. Like... Even the biggest, baddest superhero movie, movie with two heroes in it or one, two hundred fifty million dollars is like the is the highest number because it's just that's how much it costs. Like, it doesn't need to cost four hundred, five hundred million dollars. It just does because you're paying ridiculous fees. You're paying actors' fees. You're paying studio fees. You're 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 making concessions. You're let you're you're making allotments. Hell, you could make a deal like Sony and Marvel did, where it's like, okay, so you pay for the movie, we get the merchandising. You know? Yeah. Uh, but even then, like. How do you even market that? How how do you get your 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 merchandising department behind that? Like, d does does let's say that like they did that and like Marvel Disney was like, well, we'll handle the merchandising. We'll take all the merchandising. You take everything from the box office. Does Disney have to develop their own assets for Mar for for DC properties? Yeah. Can they make solo DC backpacks, or do they have to make them? No, if you put a DC character, it has to be an originally Disney produced Disney version of that character from that movie, and he has to appear alongside a Marvel character. Like the, it, the, there's so much gymnastics, and it would call it would take like two teams of lawyers from both sides to figure out how to even hash out the merchandising deal, and that's just one small drop in the bucket across the board. It is feasible and it is doable and i think if you have like if you have people like the rock robert downey jr and other actors slash movers and shake like i'm trying to think of the big the biggest movie director of all time to working today you know somebody like a uh, chris nolan or right. steven spielberg i was gonna say uh, spielberg yeah right like spielberg spielberg comes in he goes i'll work for scale to shoot the justice league avengers movie right you know you're still, <laughs> you're still iffy. Like mm -hmm. they're still like, eh, it's kind of a risk. I mean, they couldn't even make a Justice League movie work twice. Remember the George Miller movie where it was like, we have people in costumes, we're all we got, we have sets built, we're in Australia, we're ready to go, and then just the whole damn thing fell out from under them. Right. Like they couldn't even make their own damn thing. Uh, but it's like when you have that much power behind it. You you get things done. If Robert Downey Jr. and Steven Spielberg and 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 The Rock were like, we're in. <laughs> How do they say no, right? Like, but they they they'd figure out a way. But yeah. it's again, it's it's. But as far as this Disney Plus Kevin Smith thing that we all were originally talking about, yeah. um, I don't see Disney Plus getting the Caped Crusader. But if they did, it's only an fu decision, like one hundred percent, right? Because for me, Amazon is the best bet for the Caped Crusader acquisition. But if Disney Plus did it, it would just be. I, I also think that. Warner Brothers probably has right of refusal. So, like, if oh. Disney Plus said, like, we're the highest bidder we're in, Warner Brothers could go, no. <laughs> like, it is too embarrassing to have Batman on your app. Right. But stranger things have happened. And, uh, you know, because I remember when, um, like, Batman, the Adam West Batman show was not, like, owned by Warner Brothers. It, like, somebody else had it. So it was like, you could watch everything except for the Adam West show. And it was like, well, who has that? And it was a rival studio. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I think it might have been Disney, but I don't remember if it's true or not. It might have been Disney by proxy, like somebody, like a studio that Disney owned had the Batman show. But, uh, you know, they didn't really make a big deal of it back then, and even then it was only like 15 years ago. But, uh, yeah, I I would like to see... Honestly, for me, this, this, this delights me just because I like to watch these kind of studios like struggle and and sweat and also i like the spirit of collaboration and i want to see them work together like i want to see these studios like you know break down fences and cross the aisles and shake hands and and just agree to take all the money um because you know that's it like bat marvel comics acknowledged long ago like 89 when the batman movie came out um there was an old like adage from, uh, might have been Shooter, but I think it was an eighty. It was one of the editors in chief. I think it might have been. Well, who knows what it was, who was. The point being, when Batman eighty nine came out, the, the people actually did go from the theater to the comic book store, which had just only recently become like a big deal. Like right. specialty comic book stores had been rising from like the early eighties onward, but uh, people were going to comic book stores, and of course they were going there to get Batman, but. And this is from an eyewitness account of an editor-in-chief at Marvel. But the, 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 the consensus was, but they were leaving with inordinate amounts of Marvel books. That, like, yeah, Batman gets anyone into the comic book store. But they'll leave with Marvel. And so I think there's kind of, like, this very, like, live-and-let-live situation with Disney, Marvel, and Batman. Where it's like, yo, Batman sells... <laughs> I can't. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you know, like we we're we're not competing with Batman. Like we don't want to bury Batman. If Batman succeeds, we all succeed. I was just reminded of this the other day. Uh, remember when Iron Man came out? Mm-hmm. Remember what it came out against? Dark Knight. That's right. It did like, come out t- like two months earlier, and everyone went to see both of them, and everybody was happy. Like Batman. Batman raises all ships. And I can imagine Disney just being like, yeah, we'll take Batman. Like, I can imagine, because it, the other thing is, it, it's kind of a concession for Disney, too. Like, if Disney were to, like, it, if Warner Brothers were to have screwed up and made, like, an, a Green Lantern show, right? And they didn't want it. And they had, like, an entire season of Green Lantern. I could see Disney Plus slash Disney Studios or whatever not putting in a bid at all. Because mm-hmm. they're like, why? why? Like, yeah, wh- like, what do we care? cares about Green Lantern? Exactly. Like, I mean... I'm sure it would make money, but like we're developing shows that are going to make money. But with Batman, they're like, yeah, we'll take it. Like, yeah, Batman would help. Batman helps everybody with, with Green Lantern. It's almost like, well, what do you, what does Disney need Green Lantern for? Like mm-hmm. for them, they're like, what do we need him for? But to the outside looking in, they're like, what, what, what's, what's, Dis- what's Disney doing? Grabbing a DC property. Yeah. You know, but with Batman, everybody's happy doesn't matter so uh i i don't know if i'll make the same leaps in logic that kev does where it's like maybe this could lead to the acquisition of dc by marvel but listen kevin smith is a showman who sells himself and he's in an article right now that we're talking about that's yep. how it works you gotta you gotta make bombastic claims to be written about exactly and uh and uh, did you know that he's making a movie that's coming out that's available in theaters pretty soon called clerks three like that's why he said that in the oh, first place yeah He's hitching his wagon to other people's carts just to try and get momentum going, which is a brilliant move, and it's a good it's it's a good tactic, and I don't blame him for it. But I also don't buy the uh, this is a this is a stepping stone or a slippery slope towards like Disney and Marvel or a Marvel owning DC in any way. Right. Um, although, you know, like that's an interesting question, and I'll pose it to you because we got some time. Uh, what do you, which would you prefer? Because I think that there's a, we're going to live in a world one day where Warner Brothers is going to give up the ghost when it comes to DC. And the question is, who's going to get it? And I think that there, we could live in two different worlds. One world where, DC, where, where Disney has a monopoly on superheroes, which no one's going to fight against because the, the comic book market is too small. Right. Uh, but the other one is that like Amazon acquires DC Comics. Which one would you prefer to see happen? Between the two, I honestly would prefer Marvel. I think... Really? Or, yeah, like Disney, Marvel, I would prefer them because of the fact that you remove the competing against yourself part so you can put all your money towards making both good. Whereas I feel like if DC got sold to Amazon, like you said, 
you now have a new competitor for Marvel that they are trying to, I mean, basically crush so people go to theirs instead. Yeah. And while not everything, in, I'm not a big fan of everything in DC, there are properties in there that I would like to see keep going at, at a good quality. And Marvel, Disney have shown they can make quality superheroes. I'm I'm okay with that. They like That's fair. they would have zero reason to go. Hmm. Let's just stop. Like <laughs> like they they would have zero reason to end DC Comics in any way or compete and try to make the other one look bad. If they have both of them, you just go with what you got. Make it as good as possible. You now got a hand in both baskets. Yeah, that's true. I could see it working either way. I could see Marvel being like, we could make both universes work. But I also see, in one, a full-on expansion of the DC universe. And in the other, a savage curtailing of the DC universe. Like I think if Disney acquired DC, they're like, all right, Batman, maybe Superman, Wonder Woman, right, and I, and like, and a the rest book, you know, like Green Lantern, Flash, and and Friends. That's it. We don't need to start expanding on this. We don't need to worry about like the question or Blue Beetle or, you know, the Challenge of the Unknown. We got we got more profitable versions of those characters. We're right. good. And I, that's not me being like like crapping on those characters. I just genuinely think that like Disney, a ain't in it for the publishing, and b has enough characters they're already ignoring and not using to worry about them then not using DC characters. Like, for, say goodbye to Booster Gold if you see Marvel by DC. But see, it's it's actually funny you say that because I feel like if Marvel did... First off, I, I did actually, when you mentioned the Amazon, I do think a healthy competition is good for both. In, for both. But yeah. I, feel like, I feel like if Disney acquired it, it would be much more likely to see something like a Booster Gold movie because then they get to go, hey, we didn't have to write on this. We made Ant-Man pop like popular. Right. We right, can right. do booster like a Booster Gold and Blue Beetle film and like That's true. make it good. And then we are known for being the reason that these characters succeeded. Yeah. I mean, the fact is, Marvel Disney could just endlessly exploit these characters into live action projects that are in their same universe until the heat death of the universe. Like they could just go, okay, now the DC is part of the menagerie of our characters. We can then uh, just start churning them out, like do some market research, find out who the top characters are. We'll obviously put most priorities on them and then whittle down into like whatever's left. But I also see Amazon going like, we've got an entire toy chest right now that can completely compete with Marvel and we can really go ham on it. And like basically articulately follow the Marvel formula, but without as many executives screwing it up. Like we could, we could make an entire TV arm and movie arm and it's all part of the same thing or not or whatever. But like seeing a hungry new media company, get an entire toy chest of IPs and going like, we could do any of this. Like we could start from anywhere with this, especially um, with the amount of money behind Amazon. And that's like, the thing the is Amazon is a powerhouse when yeah. it comes to like entertainment that like people don't quite count on. Uh, the other thing is you'd also see uh comiXology become the DC universe app. And that would be the end of like buying digital yeah. comics that aren't DC. Although I could imagine that like you'd see a milestone situation where every other publisher that isn't Marvel making a deal with DC to like keep their books on Amazon, keep their books on Comicsology through Amazon yeah. because of course Comicsology got folded into Amazon. So it's like basically what you're doing if you pull your books from Amazon is saying, "I don't want to sell my books on Amazon," which is like saying, "I don't want to be in business anymore." Yeah. So like you would see a, a, a stronger collaboration between DC as a publisher with every other publisher, and then you'd see a certain kind of like almost conflict of interest monopoly where it's like DC isn't a competitor with any of these other publishers because they're literally working side by side with them and facilitating their digital releases. Although on that front, I don't consider Boom, IDW, Dark Horse, or even Image a competitor with DC. You're, DC and Marvel are their competitors, and then the rest are all just scraping for 
another like f- basically for for a streaming service like for yeah. a streaming series about their ips like i i love these books i love what boom and idw and uh dark horse and image produce but the numbers just don't lie the numbers aren't there to compete with like a dc and marvel like yeah. you you could argue in a court of law that there is no comparison and there is no competition here uh and it is more like but, and then you get into kind of like a mobster organized crime situation where it's like, yo, you want to be uh, on Amazon? You want to have your books being sold on Amazon? Well, you'll just have to pay for it. Right. But that's where you get your court of law involved. That's where it's like you have to give them a fair rate. You have to give yeah. them like maybe even a better rate because they are technically in your industry and it is arguably a, comp- a competition. Yeah. But yeah. So anyway, uh, anyway, I think that's just a, it's a very cool topic and we could go on for, we could, we yeah. could go on forever with this. So uh, let's, we have other topics yeah. to the next one that I've got. Uh, so rarely most shows when they premiere on the streaming services these days, first episode does amazing. And then it starts to trickle off like each episode after tends to get fewer viewership. This however was not the case with the house of dragon. Apparently, Episode two showed a 2% increase from episode one, which when you hear 2%, you're like, that's not much. But when you hear it's 10.2 million, (laughs) then you're like, okay, that's a sizable number. And on top of this, HBO Max has seen an increase of Game of Thrones rewatching by 30%. And I think I, so seeing all of this, I, I'm actually very happy. I haven't seen, I'll be honest, I haven't seen Game of Thrones. I haven't seen House of Dragon. Me either. I don't really have too much interest, but I think considering everything that's going on with HBO Max right now, this is really, really good because this is going to get them money and this is going to allow them to go forward with other projects that they might not have felt financially comfortable going forward with. And I think... I mean, we'll see based on how this goes. We all saw kind of how Game of Thrones ended and how that kind of resonated with the fans. But this is a good sign. Like, I I am happy that I'm happy to see this start well and continue it and not seeing the fans of it relive what they had to deal with with the final seasons of Game of Thrones, which are notoriously known as basically ruining the show. Right, absolutely. It's you're seeing an interesting phenomenon that is so rare and it's 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 and it's working and you're watching a studio that has lost significant market share because of their blunders actually making calculatedly good decisions on something that is arguably a really exploitative and uh, uh, creatively bankrupt concept. Let's make a spin-off show of Game of Thrones. But here's what you're seeing. The jump from the first episode to the second episode is clearly word of mouth. Yes. It's the impact of the audience reacting to the show, the show delivering on its premise or over delivering and the audience responding and going to it and then absorbing it. And then it having the desired effect, which is to reignite. Cause that's what happened, right? Like the last season of game of Thrones deflated the fandom and basically killed the franchise. Like, it for did. a long time, I mean, YouTubers made careers off of just making essay videos where they're like, you, Game of Thrones is a textbook example of how a how a franchise is killed. Like, you know, yeah. everyone was talking about Iron Thrones and Dragons for, like, a couple of years, and then the last season, no one... It has disappeared from the culture. And now, House of Dragon is not just reignited people's passion for like that concept but also has reignited people's interest in the original show so yeah. you're getting two inflations for the price of one it just so happens that hopefully house of dragons is a good show and so it's delivering on a premise that like overall is you know kind of arguably bankrupt where it's like oh do a spinoff of game of thrones like yeah anybody could come up with a game of thrones spinoff it takes hard work to make it a good spinoff yeah um but that's it's amazing. It's amazing to see, and it's it's like the kind of hail mary gamble that the entertainment industry is pretty infamous for, but it usually doesn't pan out. Yeah, you know, because in in an age of reboots and and revivals and revi- it's not like the you know 
these new revivals you see, like the the new uh, Frasier reboot or the you know the the Murphy Brown reboot or that upcoming Quantum Leap show, you know, like those aren't going to get people to subscribe to whatever the hell streaming services they're going to be on, nor is it going to get them to rewatch the old shows. It's just not going to happen. And yeah. I wouldn't expect that to happen, but here it is proof that like for some of these things, a revival slash spinoff can do that. What look at Walking Dead, right? The Fear of the Walking Dead when that came out, mm-hmm. did it raise interest in The Walking Dead and get people to rewatch? No. It was just another show. It just uh, that but that was a problem where it was like Walking Dead was running concurrently with Fear of the Walking Dead. So you're oversaturating your audience. You're competing with yourself. Exactly. You're shooting yourself in the foot. But this is I, this is a good move. This 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 was just really nice and refreshing to see because yeah, like it, it's just yeah. nice seeing it's nice seeing shows succeed sometimes. Yeah, or watching like, <laughs> watching um a movie studio make like an actually good decision and having it work. Yeah. Bless <laughs> you. Excuse me. Pardon me. Um all right. Uh so moving on to the next one, Netflix has announced a major anime deal with uh i'm gonna say nippon tv i don't know if that's how it's pronounced but that's what i'm saying to bring fans some of the beloved classics to the platform uh the list includes hunter hunter or in high school host club claymore death note 1997 berserk and quite a few more i personally am a i'm very happy to hear this because when i watch most of my anime i'll be honest i like watching it on netflix because nine times out of ten it's dubbed. And yeah. I know a large portion of people are going to be like, oh my God, how dare you? I don't care. I like it dubbed. <laughs> like, that's just the way I prefer my anime. Yeah. And I think this is going to be great. I think, I think this is also a nice, it's nice news for people who were concerned about the Crunchyroll Funimation uh, merge because yeah. it became a, are, are we going to lose all anime to this new platform? Like there, there was always that kind of worry of like, are, is that going to go? Like, is that going to be, Oh, you want anime? It's on here. Right. But this is, right. this is just showing that it's going to stay on Netflix. I'm a big, big fan. I'm actually currently watching Hunter Hunter right now. And I am way too invested in that show. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I'm, I'm sure it also helps like, to be a direct competitor with Crunchyroll and Funimation or whatever they're calling themselves now after yeah. the merger, because like it, if you could only get anime on a streaming service provided by that merger group, they could charge whatever they want. Yeah. I mean, I remember living in a time when you would go to a store to buy DVDs and Blu-rays. And if you wanted an anime show, you paid seventy to hundred dollars for any anime, like mm. movie show. If it was a movie, it was like sixty dollars. If it was a show, it was two hundred, three hundred dollars. And these are like almost, you know, used prices were not much better because it was limited quantities, and these yeah. are the people who are making them. This is it, you know. Nowadays, it should be ubiquitous. I mean, anime and manga have become prevalent throughout the Eastern and Western worlds, and so. It should be available. I mean, like every manga is available at any bookstore, uh, and it's a bigger section than probably like the cookbook section at this point. I, anime should be the exact same way, and mm-hmm. uh, and honestly, like I don't even know how the hell to watch it from like Funimation or Crunchyroll. I remember when they they had an app for a while, like they had like a website you could well, you could go to. I have no idea how it works now, but having it on Netflix also makes it more available, right? Because like. If you are an anime fan, then you know where to go to watch it. But if you yeah. are a potential anime fan, a fan who doesn't exist yet, who has no idea what it's about, you're on Netflix, it's available. It's in front of you. And exactly. then you have you have no barrier to entry now. Yeah. I I was super happy to hear about that. And like you said, we're going to get more anime fans. And yeah. this next topic is actually uh, continuing off of this. The, the fact that in the Western world and the United States – Anime has become so popular that Dragon Ball Super Superhero actually was matching box office numbers on their opening weekend with movies like Top Gun Maverick and The Beast. Like a lot of movies that have had a lot of publicity, promotion, advertising, 
and Dragon Ball Super Superhero has had all pretty much minimal advertising and promotion that you could see for a movie and most theaters I mean most theaters just did this as an event. It wasn't a It's hey, like a fathom event. Like exactly. it was like one screen, maybe like maybe two showtimes. Exactly. Like you it was one of those ones where you're like, "Oh, I really want to see this." Well, this one random theater out in Greeley and <laughs> like it was just such, I cuz I remember seeing the Broly movie uh in yeah. 2019, which was kind of the start of this phenomenon that it was only like two nights in a theater in a different city. And we, yeah, we went to go see it and it was great. But this one is just, it's showing that anime movies can really, really compete and that this might be the lead in to seeing more anime movies as a standard in theaters. Because We did see the Broly movie do well. We saw Super Superhero do well. I yep. believe the My Hero Academia movie did well. And as an anime fan, I'm really excited to hear this because I, I love the anime movies. They they yeah. are great. I loved the Dragon Ball Super one. And I think this is just simply awesome news. And I hope to see more of it. It should send a message because I know that uh, anytime I find out about any anime being uh, played in our theater, it's because there's like a Fathom Events like menu in the theater already. You know, I don't know because I'm not told, right? There's no Mm -hmm. marketing for these movies, but this should be a message or a wake-up call to theaters to be like, why don't you release these movies like regular movies? Like if this one weekend did as well as Maverick opening weekend, why don't you have it on multiple screens for like at least a week or two, you know, see how much more it could make. Um, I don't know, man. It's and it it's it's actually cool because this leading off of these other anime deals like the Netflix one, we might see new uh, movie studios looking into it. We might see yeah. more Americanized anime go to theaters or American companies creating anime movies that go to and it's it just makes it something cooler, something exciting. So if you yeah. are an anime fan. It's good news. It's good news to hear. Yeah, it's true. But that brings us to the end of today's episode of Absolute Comics. We went a lot longer than I was expecting. We could have gone... We could have made this probably an hour and a half show if we kept no going doubt. with the DC versus Marvel, but <laughs> we had to kind of cut that off. Let us know in the comments down below if you want us to make a dedicated video about that here on Absolutely Marvel and DC. We could get more voices in, talk about a few more ideas. Got some good stuff there. He yep. is Sal from Comic Pop. I am Dan from Comic Storing. If you want to support us, join the YouTube membership. Go to G Fuel, use code COMICS at checkout, or go to Into the AM and purchase some shirts. Thank you guys so much for being here, and we will catch you all next time. <laughs>